All right, good morning, everybody. Uh, my name is Austin. I'm going to be your host on the new podcast, Anything Goes. It is Friday, June 3rd, uh, and I'm here with my friends Aaron and Barrett. We're going to talk about Obi-Wan and Top Gun today. Aaron and Barrett, would you like to say hello? Hi, I'm Barrett. Um, excited to be here. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Aaron. I'm also excited to be here, ready to get it going. Aaron, do you know why it's a beautiful Friday, June 3rd morning? Why is it a beautiful Friday, June 3rd morning, Austin? It is beautiful because the Celtics are up 1-0 on the Warriors in the NBA <laughs> Finals right now, and I'm just, I'm in a great mood because of that. You know, I will admit, I was I was a little surprised. Honestly, I thought... I thought Golden State was gonna was gonna do it first game. Steph was going crazy, but uh, all credit to Boston. You know they pulled through. Full admittance, I was also worried and thought that they were gonna <laughs> lose that one, but they came through for me, and I was very happy about it. Hey, all I'm saying, Warriors and six. Mm-hmm. All right, let's get to the topic at hand, though. We're gonna talk about Obi Wan first, the new show on Disney Plus, uh, because this is our first episode. We're gonna talk about all three episodes of Obi Wan. I'll let one of you guys start. We're going to talk about episode one first. Ooh, go for it. All right. I'll go ahead and start on this then. Um, so episode one, I feel like, was a pretty good introduction into the narrative at hand. And we got to see a lot of uh, cool things. But um, I'm not going to lie. I'm really glad that Disney Plus dropped the first two episodes because the first episode did not do a whole lot to grab me in. How do you feel about that? Honestly, I I agree to an extent. Um, I do think that the, I mean, the cold open, I mean, I guess we'll let it be known. Spoiler alerts for sure, because uh, we're going to be talking about yeah. some stuff. Yeah, spoiler um, alerts for the show are, are Yeah, just gone. given. That being yep. said, the cold open with Order 66, ballsy. Like, yeah, that was, that was pretty crazy. Uh, so while I agree, I to an extent, like I think it was a pretty good introduction, um, pretty good first episode, kind of laid the groundwork of this is where Obi Wan's at. This is kind of where we're where we're headed. Um, I'm like I like the Inquisitors um, coming from Rebels. They were some of my favorite antagonists. So um pretty cool that they're kind of the main villains obviously aside from Vader um for this series so uh sorry to kind of interrupt there but oh no um, yeah it was not the like greatest premiere that i've ever seen but you know strong start yeah yeah i really enjoyed the first episode i mm-hmm. um i thought it did as good as any uh disney plus show that i've seen in introducing the story introducing all of our characters um and I, at least to this point, have thought it was the best episode of this show so far. Um, really interesting. I know that that's going to be a hot take, but yeah, we can get that's to that where I'm at right now. About the other two episodes for sure, but that is interesting. Yeah. That. Um. So again, with episode one, I will like I said, um, I'm glad that it was paired with episode two, and I know I said it didn't grab me well, but there was like a lot of good standout moments in it, like um. I read a lot of comics and a lot of books about Obi-Wan's time on Tatooine. And one thing that I always enjoyed was Uncle Owen just hating him. So I loved like seeing Uncle Owen just kind of like clap back at him and be like, hey, dude, 
stay away from us. Like, I, I just love that kind of stuff. Yeah, that dynamic and that tension is definitely clutch. And I will say, like, the casting, young Leia, <laughs> what a G. Oh, yeah, she's great. She's, like, the best character in the show. <laughs> like, love Ewan, love Hayden. Um, but whoever this little girl is for Leia, <laughs> she's awesome. <laughs> yeah. I hope that she uh, continues to grow in her career and, and it doesn't get cut short like little Anakin from episode one did. Oof. Um, so let's pray that that doesn't happen. Yeah. But I agree with you. She's phenomenal. She's doing a great job. All right, I think we are. Uh, I think we're ready to move on to episode two. Yeah. Right. So yeah. speaking about Leia just being great, episode two she really shines. Like uh, her interactions with um, with Ben are just they just feel really really natural and good. And I uh, I just think that this actress has really captured like that the spirit of Leia that we all like wanted. I feel like like that we know mm-hmm. from the trilogy. Like I just feel like she really nailed onto it and you know a lot of people pointed this out but like i feel like i noticed it kind of subconsciously an instant that uh that little green cape they put her in in the episode i was like it just looks like miniature indoor layout right now that's a good point yeah no, i agree i think the i mean the chemistry between her and ewan is is solid so far and i i'm excited to see that kind of grow throughout the series um yeah, I mean, we, we have all sorts of examples of the, the old begrudging master bringing on a youngling. I mean, it's literally everywhere, especially across yeah. this now. But this is definitely one of the more exciting pairings um, that I think as well. Um, so it's pretty cool to see their relationship grow. Um, also, along with the, the costuming, uh, I did notice in her, I think her outfit in the first episode looked like a rebel jumpsuit. Because she had like an orange shirt with like the white overalls kind of deal. Yeah, it was pretty fun. Uh, that's, a, that's a good shot with indoor comment. Yeah, so <laughs> another hot take here. Oh boy, Leia's character for me has been probably my biggest issue with the show. Okay, not because pre- not because of the actress. Okay, let me. I don't judge child or children actors or actresses just because they're children. Um, but, and it's not even her fault. It's the way that this character is being written. So we come out in episode, I believe she's introduced in episode two. Yeah. Um, at the very beginning. And who, Leia? See, yeah, Leia. No, she's in episode one. Yeah, is she's she in episode, episode one. Yeah. Okay. I'm just getting them mixed up then. But either way, um, Leia to me. They just, they they haven't seemed to nail to me where she is sort of maturity-wise. Because they have her as she speaks eloquently. She's, I mean, she knows very big words. And she, she has these really deep conversations with Obi-Wan. But then she'll be running around in the yard for 20 minutes away from some bandits and also, that bandit scene was ridiculous to me because the bandits took about 30 minutes to grab a 10-year-old, which should have taken no more than two. But she just yeah, kind of like – it almost reminded me of like a Home Alone kind of deal where the bandits <laughs> were just supposed to be these big dummies that were just running into each other. Well, it was Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, so. 
I'm sure he doesn't have a lot of experience in kidnapping children. Yeah, that being said, they were. I, I'm kind of with Austin. Like that, that chase scene was like by far the weakest point of the show. Yeah. Thus far, took way too long. Um, but I guess like to kind of interject, like the way that they've approached Leia's character, I personally like. We may have to agree to disagree on that one. Um, but I'm getting the vibes of just like, just the the kid who's way too smart for their own good. Exactly. I, so I you totally think, you, so especially in like in episode two, when they have that kind of crazy chase scene where like bounty hunters are going after them, but she's also like kind of running from Obi-Wan, like she's smart enough to kind of like ask those questions and be like, wait, who are you actually? Like, are you who you say? Like, and I kind of doubt Obi-Wan, um, but also it gets in her own way because she's, she fails to see that this man is clearly trying to protect her yeah. and, and get her out of this situation. Um, and that obviously like is, it's a good thing cause she's smart, but also bad because yeah, it just, her logic gets in the way of itself. She's not old, old and mature enough to really make those distinctions like, you know, older Leia would. I think you put that well, Aaron, and to go off of he is 10 years old and she was raised, you know, by, you know, royalty senators. So he kind of go off what uh, she's got all this like, knowledge that uh, her parents have given her and the way she's raised given her and she knows how to use it to an extent. But exactly like Aaron said, she is only 10 years old. She doesn't quite know how to use it. Exactly. Yeah, I have a... Uh, my my biggest issue with her comes in episode 3, so I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but that... I don't know. It's just not sitting right with me. Maybe it'll get better. Uh but at the moment, that's just where I am with the beginning of the show. I've, I've thought that the story so far has been all right. Um, I've had no issues with it. I really like, um, I know that there was some issues online with uh, Moses Ingram's character. I've liked her so far. No, she's doing a great job. She's doing a great job. I mean, it's, it's a pretty aggressive character, but I've been enjoying her. Um, She's really set the tone for the villains, in in my perspective, because obviously we don't get Darth Vader until episode three, so we need somebody who brings that presence in and on the first two episodes. What'd you say, Barrett? I said it definitely Brandon bring it to this show. Yeah, right. Yeah. I will say that is probably my biggest problem with really, I mean, one of my only, but definitely the biggest problem um, with the show and specifically episode two is the grand inquisitor. Um, now I think that'll create a, a good dynamic later because Disney and especially Dave Floney are way too smart to just kill a character that's supposed to be alive <laughs> for, <laughs> for a bit longer. Um, so I think that going forward, um, when, um, I think that'll create an interesting dynamic going forward with, you know, if, if, and when the grand inquisitor survives, um, to not only kind of have that sense of, Oh crap, he's back. Reva's going to be on the run from the empire, but also trying to get Obi-Wan, um, which kind of leads to the, you know, the source of her vendetta. Um, I personally subscribe to the opinion that she is one of the children from the order 66 opening. Oh, that definitely had to be her, right? The it had to, because when you think about 
you know, her knowing that Anakin is Darth Vader at the time, you know, of course, the only people that really knew were Tarkin and Palpatine. Um, and I guess whatever sort of handful of Jedi would have seen him at the temple uh, and somehow survived, i.e. Reva, uh, which would also create her personal vendetta against Obi-Wan since he kind of failed in training Anakin, or at least it would appear that way. Um, so I'm excited to see that development. Um, but I will say the Grand Inquisitor is probably the only thing that's keeping me from like truly enjoying the show. Uh, because obviously that is a big continuity error if they did end up just killing him off instantly. So I kind of have a theory about the Grand Inquisitor. Um, I think that Dark Vader has already recovered him and already knows that he's still alive. And because kind of jumping in episode three just for a second, yeah. um, there was one moment where he kind of is like egging Reva on, like, oh, a position of Grand Inquisitor just opened up. I think he's just kind of using that to manipulate her, and he knows exactly what happened. He knows what she did, and he knows that he's still alive, and he's like just using it to like use her. That that makes total sense. I wouldn't be surprised at all. And actually, I kind of like that because that would be so, that would be so up Vader's valley, Vader's okay. alley. Vader move. Yeah. It, it was very interesting to me. I guess we're just going to go ahead and segue into episode three. It was interesting to me that he said that he'd been watching her. And that was right after she killed the Grand Inquisitor. And I'm like, okay, Vader knows, right? Like, yeah, sure. that's that's why they put that scene in there is because Vader knows. Which, speaking of, I guess we're just going to dive headfirst into <laughs> the epicness yeah. Um, that was Vader v. Obi-Wan. Um, was the fight a little too early in the series for me? A little bit. Um, but I loved how it showcased just the difference in philosophy that they had since the end of Revenge of the Sith, where Obi-Wan just became a hermit, cut, closed himself off from the Force. Um, it was very secluded. Vader delved completely into his hatred and anger. Um, into just becoming more and more powerful, and that showed. Um, yeah, the, the I loved every second of that engagement. Everything from the pitch black red saber ignition mm -hmm. to just you will suffer as I have to pulling him into the fire. That was insane. Well, even um, before that, when Vader's the, walking down the the street and just snaps the lady's neck that's standing there, I was like. Talk Whoa. about an entrance. <laughs> That's an entrance. Yeah. Awesome. I was like, oh, new force power. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's just an evolution of his choke power. He just, you know. Right. Um, but, uh, that, that was, um, so that was <laughs> I guess now that we're here. My, my big issue with Leia in episode three, she had just been kidnapped by some bounty hunters. But is jumping at the gun. Did we lose? I'm sorry, you didn't come through. What? Yeah. Hey. Yeah, I'm here. I thought, Austin, were you talking? You said something, but we couldn't hear you. Oh, I didn't. I didn't mean to. I'm sorry. Oh, okay. 
Uh, yeah. So, and then right after they escape from the planet in which she had just been kidnapped to, she's ready to jump in this guy's truck that's just driving down the road that she'd never met before. And I'm like, come on. This is a 10-year-old girl who just got kidnapped by some men, and she's ready to jump in with this new guy that she's never met before. I think, I would think, at least, she would be a little bit more skeptical than she was. Well, that's where you kind of have to go back to, like, like how she's too smart for her own good. And when you think about, like, her upbringing, you know, the ref- her cousin references it in the first episode, how she's never left Alderaan a place where she's royalty. And so her whole life, like no one would actually really be mean to her except for her cousin. Um, which, yeah, we won't talk about that cause he's a jerk and I don't want to get in trouble for child stuff anyway. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So like you have this little girl insanely smart, intelligent, um, who's been very well treated and looked up to her entire life. Um, all of a sudden in an environment that's not really conducive to that. So like, I, I, I like that push and pull of, you know, Leia being overly trusting on the one hand, whereas Obi-Wan, you know, being overly skeptical, um, and not wanting to trust anybody. Um, so that dynamic was kind of fun. I thought it was a good source of humor. Um, I do see where you're coming from though. Um, especially I think the perfect example of what you're saying, Austin, is at the end of the episode when um, Game of Thrones girl is escorting her down the hallway. And she's like, oh, I'm fine. You can go back. I'll just find the way myself. Like, (laughs) come on. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Who was she in Game of Thrones? Um, I forget her name, but she was Oberyn's... uh, the, wife, the, uh, friend, hand, right? partner. Yeah, the Sand Queen. Okay, cool. Um, but Austin, um, a, a big difference between uh, her getting captured by those bounty hunters and her getting in that uh, truck with that guy is um, she had Obi-Wan with her that time. You know, and he's already proved himself to her as like being capable of rescuing her uh, twice now, you know, from getting her out of the storage container and then um, getting her away from the guys that were chasing them. So I think, you know, she's, I think that just shows the level of trust that she has with Obi-Wan and that now that he is with her, she feels comfortable uh, doing those things. Yeah, I guess that Obi-Wan point makes sense. Um, I don't know, to me, it just still, it felt a little weird. I don't know, the whole thing has been sitting with me a little weird, but... Maybe I'm just overanalyzing, who knows. And also, um, you guys know who Zach Braff is? Can't say that I do. Uh, Ever seen the show Scrubs? No. Okay, well, Zach Braff's a pretty famous dude. He was uh, was in the prosthetics uh, doing that um, truck driver. Okay, okay. Yeah, if you don't know who Zach Braff is, Scrubs is a really funny show. Uh, that's just a little Easter egg that I saw someone had pointed out. Yeah, that was a pretty good touch. Scrubs is very funny. I think, Austin, you would very much like that show. <laughs> I guess I'll have to I'll have to try it out. Um, and then also, 
I know you talked a lot about the Vader fight, Aaron, but um, you did not mention, like, to me, the crowning jewel on it is um, when he ignited that ore and, like, was dragging Obi-Wan through it. Like, okay, as a nurse, my first thought was, okay, he's going to have permanent damage, but he's definitely not going to have permanent damage because it's a TV show. And then my second thought was, this is so cool that um, that Vader is trying to recreate what made him into Darth Vader onto Obi-Wan. just thought that was so cool. Oh, I agree. And I, and I kind of mentioned it earlier with just the, when when I quoted, he uh, he was like, I'll, you'll suffer as I suffered or something like that. Uh, but like, yeah, that was such a cool scene. And I think that that alone was kind of a saving grace for me in terms of like the fight being too early. Um, cause obviously there's going to be more engagements between the two, um, throughout the show. Um, but yeah, that whole scene was just amazing. And then just the cold stare down through the flames as he's being carried away. Like I could go kill you right now, but I'm just going to let you simmer on the fact that like, I'm going to get you. <laughs> that was so good. Uh, and yeah. what a shot too. I mean, shout out to, I mean, just the, the, I mean, the production value, of course, is going to be high because it's Star Wars, but just the cinematography, um, the visual effects of looking through the fire at Vader um, and it's night, like, that was world-class from that Disney. Cool. Yeah, that, that to so me, guess, was, was a very good 10 minutes of just Star Wars. Like, that that was a great part of the show. 100%. And I guess yeah. segueing into the next thing, like, excitement level for the rest of the series... I'm doing. I'm gonna do like a a solid nine out of ten. Like I am really excited for what's gonna happen. Um, plus, I mean, it's Obi Wan. We've we've had the the rumors and the speculation about the show for years, um, dating back to when freaking Ewan McGregor was like, "I want to do this role." Right. Um, so the fact that that we're actually getting it, um, they're really trying to give a quality product, um, and for me, it's working so far for the show. So yeah, I'm I'm very excited for the rest of the series. I'm my excitement level for the rest of the series. I'm probably at a six, but I started very low because I was just kind of at the you know at the stage. Why do we need to know what happened between? episode three and episode four to Obi-Wan. Like we know he just becomes an old man in Tatooine um, and we're going to see him get killed in episode four. So, I mean, whatever show they make, it's not going to affect me in any way. But going from that, watching the first three episodes, I'm more excited than I was, but it's still, I'm only at like a six or maybe a seven. That's fair. I would have to say I'm, I'm at an eight. Um, I've been waiting for Obi-Wan for a very long time, and uh, have we lost Barrett? That my excitement before the series came out was probably at a ten. I can't oh, no. explain to you why it's gone. I think we might time. have. Um, Let's continue and uh, pretend like he's not here. <laughs> oh, you can't hear me. So what? I guess yeah. Next thing, prediction for the rest of the show. Um, I don't know if this counts as a prediction. Um, but one thing that I absolutely loved um, uh, coming back to episode three was when they get into the safe room um, and Obi-Wan recognizes that Quinlan, as in, I'm hoping Quinlan Voss, um, also went through. Um, so I guess as my prediction, um, 
that we, of course, we see Quinlan Voss, uh, but that he, that I think that he has made that transformation um, into a gray Jedi, and that because of that, we may even see a live action Asajj Ventress. Ooh, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go there. I guess it's it's a podcast. We're doing some hot takes. Yeah. Um, my hey, prediction, anything goes on here. We, we, anything goes. <laughs> we, we will not only see Quinlan Voss, but we will get a live action Asajj Ventress. Uh, is, are you familiar with the Dark Disciple book? Loosely. I don't know a lot of the details, but that's kind of where the inspiration for that take. Is it canon? I don't believe so. All right. Cause if it's not canon, it would be really awesome to get like some kind of like small, tiny abdat adaptation of that in this show like what you're kind of saying exactly but unfortunately if it is canon spoilers for that book if you want to read that book but um asajj ventress does die in that book oof um but because yeah, isn't, isn't that what kind of pushes quinlan over the edge a little bit it actually brings him back from the edge because in that book the whole thing was um count dooku was uh seducing quinlan boss to the dark side and um through his love with Asajj Ventress, they fell in love. She brings him back to the light. Mm. Also, I know you guys couldn't hear me earlier, but I said my excitement level for the rest of the show was an eight. Um, that fight uh, has really got me going for the grand finale to see uh, Obi-Wan shape up and like go back to the Jedi that he was and kind of to the Jedi he's going to be in episode four. Um, also... Kind of in line with the predictions for the rest of the show, I have two predictions that my friend told me that are just so, so dumb and are definitely not going to happen. But I wanted to share them with you guys because I just told him that they're absolutely not going to happen. His first prediction that he swears up and down just has to happen is that we're going to see another Jedi Temple scene and that it's going to be Grogu's rescue. And I said that is 100% not going to happen in the show. But he is dead set that we're going to see Grogu's rescue in the Jedi Temple. What do you guys think? Ooh, it would be a stretch. Yeah. I don't know if I'm, um, yeah, I don't know if I'm like a hundred percent, like it's not going to happen, but that, that would be a stretch. I guess the only thing that could make that work is if just in the chaos of, of the group of kids running around, they, they run into Grogu, but like, yeah. It'd be a stretch that I don't know if Disney would have the time for film-wise to, like, really do. Yeah. The other prediction which I that he made that I do not think is going to happen at all, and I have a counter-prediction to it, is he agrees with me that Obi-Wan needs to shape up before the next fight. And he thinks the way he's going to shape up is by going to Dagobah to talk with Yoda. And I said that is 100% not going to happen. What do you guys think about that? Yeah, I don't know about that one. I, I don't know how I feel about that one, to be honest with you. I would appreciate it sentiment wise, but I I don't think I don't think that's the direction that they're gonna take this show. I if know he's Disney is king of cameos. But... From a Jedi master, he's gonna finally get in contact with Qui Gon and that's what's going to help him yeah. show up. Yeah. I that, agree. That's 100%. gonna be it. Yeah. The emotional low that he's gonna be in after this episode is gonna drive him to finally make that connection with Qui Gon. Yep. I think, um, what's, uh, 
Tala, is that her name? The lady that's running down the, the thing with, with Leia? I believe her name's Tala. I think she's a Jedi. Do you? I do. Um, I I found it very, you know, interesting that the very specific timing in which Obi-Wan gets in trouble is when she turns around and she kind of has this look on her like, I know something's wrong. So I think she sensed that Obi-Wan was in trouble and she's a Jedi. That That's my prediction for the rest of the show. Mm. So do you think she was like a Jedi during the Clone Wars and when she said that she joined the Empire when it believed in something? Do you think she was like disillusioned with the Jedi Order like we have seen other that happened to other Jedi and she left the yeah, Jedi I'm, Order? I, it's a very possible thing. Um, yeah. I just I believe she's a, at the very least force sensitive. Um maybe not a full fledged Jedi, but I believe she is force sensitive, yeah. Mm. Okay. I mean I'm gonna say Interesting. I really can I, I can see that. I I think that'd be a fun a fun addition. Yeah. Um to to the universe. So yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> All right. Um, All right. Before we move on to Top Gun, is there anything else that anybody wants to say? Okay, I was going to ask you guys this. Um, so, obviously, Hayden's back. Do we think Hayden was in the suit for all of that? Yes, and that reminds me of something that I... Oh, my God, I'm so f- upset I forgot to talk about this. Um, you know, Austin knows audio is one of my big things in life. Love sound design, all that good stuff. Um the, I do think Hayden was in the suit for everything. Um, and a big part of that is Vader's voice. Uh, if you listen carefully, you do actually have flashes of Hayden's voice in there, uh, which personally I thought was a fantastic decision by Disney because they could have very easily just done like the James Earl Jones, this really deep, boomy voice. Um, but like Anakin is still young. You know, at this point, he's, what, late 20s, early 30s? Yeah. Um, so it makes sense for his voice to still be, like, normal, you know, Hayden Christensen. Um, so the fact that that kind of poked through amidst the, like, distortion and filters of his uh, mask, I think was a great touch by Disney. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't able to tell you for 100% that it was Hayden Christensen under there, but I knew it was not James Earl Jones that they were reusing. So that would have been my assumption. Would have been Hayden Christensen. Yeah. So um, I remember seeing. To ask you, uh, Aaron. Um, yeah. So when Vader first started talking, I was like, "This sounds great," and yeah. I was not expecting it to sound great because in Rogue One and The Lion, you know, James Earl Jones is getting on up there in age, and you can tell he sounds a little bit older in those projects. But this, he sounded like he was ripped out of the uh, out of the straight out of the OT. So like. Um, is there a way that they could like take his voice and like somehow digitally like clean it up? If that makes any sense? Yeah, no, that's definitely uh, possible. Um, especially, it's uh, I guess the easiest way to describe it would be through something like a deep fake, in terms of taking um, you know past either footage or uh, audio clips and using AI to kind of do whatever. Um, to to his voice and there's a bunch of different like post-production techniques when it comes to processing to create those effects but but you're right there is um that that distinct way that you know james earl jones sounds 
Um, I would not be surprised if they, you know, had a take of Hayden saying all, all those things and then like deep faked um, James Earl Jones' voice saying the same lines and kind of mashing them together um, along with some other effects. Um, I guess this, I would probably recommend um, if you guys have heard of the YouTube channel like Corridor Crew or Corridor Digital. Oh, yeah. Um, they have fantastic videos um, where they talk about deep fakes. They even do a couple. Um, they they replace some CGI faces. A good one especially is uh, they redo Luke's face from Mando Season 2. Um, so in, a, in order, I'm, the concept of deep, deep faking is still relatively like obscure to me. I know kind of the overarching principle, but not some of the, the details those videos from corridor would be great in terms of filling in that knowledge, um, of how they might've done stuff. But all that being said, they probably took Hayden and James Earl Jones, put it together through some other effects on boom. You have like still young, but older Vader. <laughs> cool. 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 Mm-hmm. All right. Um, the top gun. Yeah, let's move on to our, our movie of the day. Uh, let's go. Top Gun Maverick has Ugh. busted box office uh, numbers this week. And Tom Cruise's highest grossing film ever. For ever? a very good reason. Ever. Wow. Yeah, so um, full admittance here at the very beginning. I did not watch the first Top Gun until Wednesday of this week. Uh, You're kidding. So wow. I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> I, you, uh, you've never, I the, before this week? Before like, I had not seen it before this week. Nope. Wow. Okay, that's crazy to me. Am I the and, only one who has seen Maverick? No, I've seen it. I've seen it. I have not, but I plan Barrett to has see. not. Gotcha. Okay, so we will not be doing any spoilers. <laughs> oh, no, he, he has already spoiled it for himself, so we're good. Yeah, I've already spoiled uh, it for himself. Dang, okay. Yeah. Um, so, talking about... Yeah, we're, we'll go see it this afternoon, sure. Um, but, talking about the original, I I liked it. Um, I realized that that's like 86, you know, you're coming out of the Civil War era. Not Civil War, Cold War era, excuse me. Um <laughs> And, you know, you need a very pro-America, pro-military movie. And I think Top Gun does a really good job of doing that. Um, And, you know, for the 80s, all the jet scenes, I'm sure that they were excellent. But, you know, to me, uh, to a guy that's grown up watching, you know, Doctor Strange just zombified himself and then Demon combined his body. Like, to me, jets aren't super exciting as far as film goes. But it was a great movie, and it was a really good experience um, as far as watching it goes 40 years later. So I can understand some of that. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, when when Top Gun came out, that, like, that single-handedly changed the way aerial, like, aerial craft or even... You know, if you look at stuff like Star Wars or Marvel, right. like how even things flying through the air 
were were filmed or created. Mm-hmm. Like pre Top Gun, nobody had done anything like that before. Um, especially in the sense, and we'll we'll get to it about Top Gun Maverick, but like especially back then to do as much as they did with practical effects, no virtual stuff or CG, like as much as they possibly could real planes. Um, it was every, it kind of epitomizes like just big budget Hollywood in its finest. Um, so from that angle, like it's, it's definitely one of those iconic movies. Plus again, sound design, like, you know, like I said, I'm big into that. Give me another movie that created five number ones in the, in the billboard charts for yeah. like the entire year. It wasn't like it was yeah. up there for a couple weeks let down. Yeah. Five of those songs went number one for the rest of the year. Um, yeah. And again, it's not, I appreciate what it did for film, right? Like I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, because it didn't have all this, this stuff that we had now in 2022, that it's not good. But it just, it was not as exciting as I'm sure it would have been if I was sitting there in 1986. Right. Like, like people watching this in 1986 would have felt that same sort of like awe and wonder right, that we yeah. would have felt after like Endgame or, yeah. you know, some yep. of the Doctor Strange movies, Star Wars, like some of the newer Star Wars films in terms mm-hmm. of like the scale, the scale, the spectacle. I don't remember who I was talking to, but I was talking to somebody and they called Top Gun Maverick Endgame for old people. <laughs> and I you didn't know, hate that comparison. Wrong. I didn't hate the comparison. Um, but anyways, let's let's move on to the new one. Um, so Top Gun Maverick, we're going to start spoiler free. Okay, so if you're listening and you still want to go see Top Gun Maverick, um, you can listen for the next couple minutes, and then we will we will give you a warning when it's time for spoilers. Um, Spoiler-free version, go see this movie. Go see it in a theater. Go see it in a seat that is going to rumble when those jets are coming through because that is the immersive experience that you are supposed to have in a movie theater. Yeah, this movie is... If, if there ever was a movie to, like, spend the money and see in a better format, like IMAX or Dolby Cinema or 4DX, um, this is the movie to do so. Um, every, the sound design, one of the best Atmos tracks I have ever heard. Um, visuals, stunning. Um, and that kind of goes back to the original, too, I think. the And that's what gives this movie so much more weight and grounding than like a Marvel or Star Wars is just the fact that everything that is in this movie is plausible and and really happened in real life. I mean, aside from, you know, the exploding stuff where we have Mm -hmm. CG explosions and fire, like all of it was practical. Like these are real pilots in real planes doing real like maneuvers and stunts. Mm -hmm. Um, And the fact that they were able to capture that in a way that looks good cinematically, uh, Chef's Kiss, ten out of ten. Yeah, going yeah, off. Sorry to that. go off on a tangent. In case no, you can't I, tell, I've struggled. Full, fully agree. <laughs> well, fully agree. Yeah, I thought it was. See it. Uh, I'm excited about it. Um, I've learned, I've researched a lot about it, and um, going on what you said about everything is real. Uh, I was uh, researching how some of the shots were filmed um, with the jets, and the way that they would do it is um, all fighter uh, jets have two seats, right? Right. And have the actor 
in the back seat and they would have like a real pilot in the front seat and the actor would be responsible for um operating the camera and filming themselves for those scenes and like it would take like hours at a time just to film a few minutes of scene because they would have to go up do the lines and then like come down and like uh, give the film to the director so that uh, he could watch it, and then um, then they have to go back up and do it again. And I just thought that that was pretty cool that that's how they did that. That is really cool. I didn't know that. 100%. But, yeah. Oh, and I saw one goof that apparently Miles Teller like didn't really know how to operate the camera, so he was like recording like over old footage, so it, like set them back like a week. Very that's Miles funny. Teller move. I love that. <laughs> Yeah, Which, I was. I was of, no, go ahead. I was just saying, Miles Teller was great. I he loved was. him. He I loved his character. Fantastic. I, since Fantastic Four, I've always had very low expectations for him. As um, you should. But but he he did a really good job on this movie. I really liked him and his character. Um, Tom Cruise as well. Tom Cruise really brought it back for. I don't want to say his send-off movie, but you know, he's getting up there. Right. He's, he's, he's kind of running out of, he's running out of movies where he can do as much stunts yeah. as, as yeah. he can. Um, and I think that it sounds like the next mission impossible film maybe might be the last, maybe. Yeah. I, I saw the trailer for that in, in the theater yesterday and I was yeah. like, another one. Really? <laughs> yeah, but, I kind of had the same reaction, but the the trailer at least did feel like it was going to be a finale. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, to your point, yeah. Well, and it's it's in part know. one, right? It, was, it was a part one, so it's probably going to be a two part finale. Um, oh, yeah. So we get two more Mission Impossible's. Right. Anyway, back back to Top Gun. Back, back to Top Gun. Uh, yes. I honestly, I, I I cannot say enough. Um, how great this movie is. If, if you like adventure action, great story, like remotely at all, you'll love this movie. If um, you like good movies, please go and watch this movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, honestly, like, and I saw this, so today's Friday. I saw this movie for the first time on Monday night. Since then I've been trying my utmost to think of, anything critical or bad about this movie to discuss. And, and I, I simply can't, I mean, any, yeah. every aspect of this movie is at the very least great mm -hmm. music, acting, story, characters, um, effective use of callbacks and, you know, fan service to the first one. I didn't think at any point it was like forced or unnatural if they brought up or referenced something from the first movie, um, it's just everything was, was mm -hmm. really strong. And when you look at total package movies like that, um, they're few and far in between. Um, honestly, this might go top five for me, like period during yeah. the movies. Yeah. Um, I will say to me, this was the first true sequel that I have seen in a long time, but yes. they did it perfectly and once we get to the spoiler part i'll kind of explain what i mean by all that but if you were at all a fan of the first top gun definitely go see this if you weren't go see it anyway because this <laughs> movie was that good i went in with high expectations too like the original top gun 
is is and was and still is one of my favorite movies. Um, I watched yeah. it relentlessly growing up. Has a real special place in my heart. Um, so I went into Top Gun Maverick with high expectations. It wasn't like I wasn't expecting anything and just got blown away. Like I expected greatness and got darn near perfection. Yeah. Um, so I think at this part, I'm going to instill the spoiler warning. Yeah. Um, <laughs> if, if you do not want to be spoiled, it is your time to depart from us. And, uh, we wish you the fairest goodbyes, but go see this movie, um, and come back and listen to the rest. Cause remember, um, it's not about the plane. It's, it's not about the plane. plane. It's the pilot. That's right. Um, <laughs> Do they say that yeah, in the movie? So they do. Yeah. Um, <laughs> they do. Uh, so let's just let's just go from beginning to end. So they start out with the same sort of the the, the same intro as the first movie, and that to me was perfect. That was right how it should have been. Uh, same script on the screen, same music, same images on the on the uh, the ship. It was it was the same, and that to me was like, okay, I'm about to watch a great Top Gun remake, and it's going to be amazing. Um, you have any thoughts on that on that intro, Aaron, or? I kind of same like so I saw it with yeah. with one of my good friends and when when it opened like that we just kind of looked at each other and we were like yeah this this is gonna be a great movie yeah um, and I and I like how it was staged in a way that we we had the iconic opening um, of the aircraft carrier highway to the danger zone wonderful mantra um, but then after that you know there was a very distinct like cutoff. And we're into the new story. Yeah. Um, I think that was pretty, like, a good description of of the movie's take in general. It was like, yeah, we're going to pay homage and honor, like, the greatness of the first movie. But, like, this is its own story. Yeah. Um, and I think they, that was exemplified by the opening cut, mm -hmm. go to Tom Cruise just doing whatever in the, in the hangar, building his P-51. Yeah. Um, so... So we move on from there, and we get the uh, the scene where he needs to test the Mach 10 capabilities of a plane. Um, and that, to me, I was really confused what the scene was about until I got to the end of the film, and I realized that for their mission, they were going to need to at least get close to Mach 10, and he was going to be able to tell them exactly what that felt like because he had experienced it. So at the from that point to like the middle of the movie, I was really confused what that scene was for. Uh, but then when it came to the end, I was like, oh, this makes perfect sense. They know why they did this. Uh, and then I really appreciated it even more. Yeah. I mean, it just kind of showed just, I think the evolution of his character um, with, you know, becoming a test pilot and his job literally to push the boundaries. Yeah. Um, that, and that was just a beautiful scene. I mean, like cinematically, um, you know, he's yeah, still this arrogant pilot that's that's ready to, to push boundaries because he he makes it to Mach ten, yeah. and then he goes, well, let's just give it a little push, and he's ready to go even further, and he makes it to like what ten point three before it blows up, and yeah. he, he shows up in this random uh, diner the somewhere, diner. yeah. That that to me was it was a good scene once I figured out what it was for, yeah. 
But yeah, no, and I, I love. It, it did make me really happy that you know, kind of going on from that, um, how he and Ice, like, went on to become like yeah. really close friends. Yes, um, and I loved that kind of dynamic of, you know, you know, t- like a, a Maverick never really recovering from losing mm-hmm. Goose. Mm-hmm. And you know, Ice having to kind of bail him out every single time yeah. that he messes up. Um, I loved, and yeah, you know, I know we're kind of jumping around, but while we're on the subject of Ice, like talk about acting from Val Kilmer. Um, you know, they're yeah. they're. I guess, man, I feel bad that we're like really doing spoilers with Bear not seeing the film. Um, but I will say he has just, the opportunity to leave and he just hasn't. So at this yeah, point it's his fault. <laughs> the, just without, yeah, I'll try my best to not really give away too much. Um, but with achieving that level of communication and emotion with minimal dialogue, um, was I think very well done and understated, um, just how good of an actor Tom Cruise was. Mm-hmm. Cause that conversation was very one-sided. Um, yeah, it was really good on Tom Cruise for like, keeping up that emotion, even though it was just kind of a monologue almost. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cause it was, all, it was also just one shot as well. They didn't like splice it at all. Um, I yeah, don't know that they didn't splice it, but I mean, I, I appreciated that scene for everything that it had even before I knew that. And now I just like it even more. Right. Yeah. Then uh, did you guys pick up on the fact that a uh, homegirl was the Admiral's daughter that was referenced in the first movie? No. Yeah. But I should have. I was yeah, trying to Penny, figure out who Penny she is was. The, uh, it was. It was not really stated. I think it was mostly just kind of implied as like a, a like a one-off sort of sense. But yeah, when uh, in the first Top Gun, when mm-hmm. he's going through you know Buzz Three Towers, you know, and had a flyby with an Admiral's daughter, and yeah. <laughs> Goose was like Admiral So and So's daughter, and then in the next movie, she I think they say her name like once. Um, mm. But great scene. Yeah, I, I love the I, fact I got that, that her name like, was Penny, and I was like, Penny's not the name of the blonde chick from the first one. And this girl doesn't <laughs> yeah. look like her at all. So I'm trying to figure out who this is. And okay, that makes sense now. It's, it's kind of, it's a very delicately put touch that I really enjoyed now that I know it's there. 100%. Yeah. Um, so after we get the diner scene, he gets invited back to Top Gun, if I'm remembering it right. Um, and he has to train the the pilots to do this mission who have already graduated from Top Gun. So he gets these these you know arrogant pilots because they've already been through and done this, and they're they know the that they're the best, best. best. Um, but one of them happens to be you know Rooster Goose's son, um, and that that dynamic for the entire movie is great to me it is excellently done miles teller and tom cruise going back and forth for the whole movie until the very end that is great to me i love every second of it yeah 100 percent. and there's a yeah yeah the tension between them is great and i think going back to just kind of the, the the main story of the movie with you know how he has to train this group of cocky you know still great pilots mm-hmm. um but I think it, I like how they they didn't completely make Maverick like a wash up, 
Right. Like, even though he's old, like he's still just straight up the best pilot. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in the movie. And, and it's like, I think there, and you know, it, with the team building that they did, mm-hmm. I think that was necessary um, just for the rest of the pilots to be like, Oh shoot. Like we still have a lot to learn. Um, and I think it kind of came down to like when he does the, the route and his solo <laughs> thing and yeah. they're all watching it like that. Yeah for me was one of the best points in the movie because mm. uh, a, you got to see Maverick just go in on this course. Yeah. Um, but it was the development that happened with the rest of the pilots. Um, and the whole deal with rooster, of course, fantastic. Um, you know, Maverick selecting him for the final mission or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was just all around a good touch and you know, the little moment that they had. Um, one of my other favorite moments of the movie um, when they're in the mission and Rooster does his talk to me, dad. Um, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that, that was perfection to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, we, yeah. Um, so for that in, for that last mission, I wanted so bad for Tom Cruise to just accidentally call him goose. I thought that would have been an excellent touch that they could have oh, done man. and they never did. And, you know, uh, Obviously, it was it was a hope, but I, and I don't feel anything because they didn't do it. But it would have been really nice if they had done that. Yeah, that oh, man. I don't. Know, I feel like as great as that would have been, it might have taken the audience out of like the high intensity like stress right, yeah, of, of yeah. the mission. But I agree. I, I would yeah. not have been mad at all if they, yeah. if they put that in there. Um, yeah, but uh, back to the. Uh, to the scene where he kind of he is introduced um and you get so in the first one he hits on the blonde girl's name i can't remember but the the main girl in the movie and when she's walking up as the instructor and he kind of puts his head down and we get that same thing from hangman because hangman threw him out of uh, of the bar the night before and he's just kind of he does the little head thing i I thought that was another great touch. They did so many things to sort of, I don't know how I want to word this, but just to bring back little details from the old movie, um, which is what to me made it a true sequel uh, that I talked about earlier. And they did it all so well. They did it all as well as anybody could have done it. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of what comes next. So we have uh, we have the scene where he's obviously trying to train them, and uh, we get they, for most part they cannot do this mission um, when they're training. They cannot get it done. They cannot get the time right. Or I think Rooster was the only one that made it to the destination, but he was like a minute behind schedule. Yeah, um, the, the main thing. Yeah, they have to fly through this canyon to get to this target. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just really intense. They have to do it in, at crazy speeds. Um, yeah. It'll still get detected by the new aircraft. Um, so, yeah, Rooster is the only one that does it initially, but he has like a minute slower than mm-hmm. anyone else. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's just a lot. We get a couple of close scares with the, um, so they have to like deep dive into this canyon and then come back out. Um the straight up coming back out, mm-hmm. they're pushing like nine to 10 G's of force. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, 
which you know, obviously that <laughs> could definitely make somebody pass out. Yeah. Um, even professionally trained pilots. So, uh, we do get a little bit of that, um, you know, kind of throughout the middle portion of the movie, um, which then kind of like we talked about earlier culminates with, um, them just being really doubtful. Maverick got taken off the mission, but Maverick being Maverick, he just hops in a plane and goes and shows everybody what's up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's really well done. Um, yeah, for, for all of the training scares and then towards the end, all of the other scares, it made me believe that there was going to be somebody that's going to die at some point in this movie, like Goose did. And nobody ever did. And, you know, it's it's a big pet peeve of mine to have scenes where, you know, you think somebody dies. Um and th this to me was was probably my only issue, um, and it's just because it's one of my pet peeves, was that very beginning scene where he hits Mach 10 and it blows up, and then we don't see him for a few minutes, and we're like, oh, he can't be dead because we already know from the trailer that he's got, like, the rest of the movie to go. <laughs> and that has always been a pet peeve of mine, to pretend like somebody's dead way early on in the movie when we know that they're going to be back for more. Hmm. That's fair. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, I think the, the, the crash with the Mach 10 plane was, was necessary because it, it shows, it's kind of a catch 22. Like it, it, it was necessary because it shows, um, that Maverick is still good old Maverick. Who's going to yeah. push the envelope, um, no matter what. Uh, but yeah, I agree. It's like, there's no sense in making that tension and drama because mm -hmm. we still have because the rest of the movie. Yeah, we know he's, he's going to be here. They named the movie after him. He's not going to die in four minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll just, because we're we're really running on time here, um, I'll just skip towards the end. Um, that final mission, he selects, he's got what, he's got 10 to choose from, I think, and he selects Rooster, and he selects um, the only female pilot whose name I can't come up with right, right now. Uh, Phoenix, Phoenix and Bob. Yeah. Um, and shout then, out to Bob, man. What a guy. Shout out to Bob. Bob to me was the humor that this movie didn't need, but I appreciated. <laughs> yeah. Like every scene that he had was funny for no reason. And I, I just enjoyed that. Um, but yeah, they do the mission and, uh, you can, you can tell with Miles Teller that there's still that little bit of tension left. And then, they're flying down, and I don't believe this wasn't the talk to me, Dad, was it? Or was it? When, when he's so going the talk down to me, Dad happened when when they're in the canyon, and um, you know Maverick and uh, Phoenix and Bob are like further up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is where I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's going slower. He, yeah, Miles Teller's character is still flying very cautiously. Yeah, uh, but they're severely behind. And yeah. so everybody's shouting at him to go faster mm -hmm. and pick up speed. And that's where he does the talk that, to that's me. That's the talk to me. That, yeah. He just full sends. Yeah. That was, uh, that to me was probably my favorite scene of the movie. Mm. Um, not just because it's the most exciting and it's the mission, but like we've, we've had Tom Cruise since the end of Top Gun one saying, talk to me goose. And then Miles Teller goes, talk to me dad. 
Yeah. And he's just, boom, ready to go. And uh, the whole rest of the mission, he's he saves it, pretty much. Um, yeah. I don't want to spoil too much of the ending for everybody, in case somebody's still listening that has not gone and seen this movie. But, um, yeah, he, he saves the mission after saying that, and it just... I have no words other than it was excellently made. Yeah. And as we all say, it's not the plane, it's the pilot. It's the pilot. Yes, sir. <laughs> um, and, uh, to skip to a part that's not as much of a spoiler as where I could have gone, um, when they get in the F-14 and, he, and Miles Teller's called it a dinosaur, when, you know, that was what we just yeah. saw in Top Gun 1. I say we just saw. It's what I just saw on Wednesday. It's what some people have seen for the last 40 years. Yeah. Um, the fact that yeah. they got my man into an F-14, yeah. fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And but, just all in all, excellent movie. Probably the best that I've seen since 2020. So I'm going to say the best of the decade. Um Honestly, it's the best movie that I've seen in years, straight up. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what I said coming out of the theater. I had to think and make sure that it was the best of the decade before I just made that statement. Um, I, I believe that it is at least my favorite movie of this decade. Wow, so this sounds like the best movie ever. I really need to get off my ass and go see it. You do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> um. I don't think I have much else to say on it. Aaron, you got anything? Uh, not really. I mean, I think we kind of hit all the major points. I mean, obviously with avoiding some of the bigger spoilers. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think just as, as someone who just enjoys movies for to enjoy movies, like I, this was the first time in a very long time that like, it just kind of took me back to being a kid. Like, yeah, like seeing Top Gun Maverick really brought back that that kind of raw feeling of like, oh my god, like seeing something on a big screen. Mm -hmm. um, I felt like going to a theater for the first time uh, as a kid when I saw that movie. Um, so yeah, no, like if I know we've said this a lot and we've given a lot of reasons. So like, if you've listened to this episode and somehow still don't want to watch or on the fence about watching Top Gun Maverick. Um, yeah, unless you just, like, absolutely hate the style of movies, like, you'll enjoy yeah. it. Yeah. Um, even if you have mixed feelings about the first one, still go see it. Like, it's worth the money. It's a spectacle. It's an experience. Um, even if you don't absolutely love it, like we do, I, I struggle to think of anyone that could watch this movie and not have a good time. Right. And, um, just to follow up on that point, you know, you watched it as a kid growing up. Mm -hmm. I watched it the day before I went and saw Maverick in the theater. And we still, we both love it just the same. Yeah. Um, this is not a movie that you had to experience Top Gun 1 in 1986 to enjoy. It's just not. It's, it not is exceptionally made um, in that way. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. Well... I believe that's it for the day. Um, you can join us back next week. We're going to be talking about episode four of Obi-Wan, 
We'll talk about uh, season three of The Boys, at least whatever's out at that point. I believe there's only three episodes out right now. Um, and either next week or the week after, we're going to talk about Jurassic World. It just depends on when these fellas can watch this movie. Because uh, I'll be watching it at opening night, and hopefully they will too. What is up? Uh, we'll now? see you guys later. Thank you for listening, uh, and leave a like and a five star. Thank you. See you guys.